This is exactly right. Welcome to my favorite murder. That's Georgia. Thanks. That's Karen. Thanks. That's what we go by now. <laughs> we don't have last names anymore. What'd you just do? <laughs> well, because I was looking at my hand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just looked down and there's like, there's some just some stuff on my hand. <laughs> kind of gray. It's not, um, it's not like, it, it looks permanent. <laughs> Is it goo? Or are you on hallucinogenics? It's, um, I can see through my hand and I can see the universe in my hand. I don't know. What is that? Is that where it's been this whole fucking time? Jeez. And it's all, it's all goo. Here's the good news. It's all goo. Here's the bad news. It's all goo. Yeah. I don't know what this is. It's, oh, I it see looks that. like, I think I was holding a pencil. Uh huh. I've, uh, as a writer, I oh. tend to not be able to handle the actual writing instruments that I use a lot of the time. So like, yeah, I'm always the person with a little bit of pen <laughs> on my cheek. That's cool. You know? though. It makes you look smart. You know, like between that and glasses, you're just like, what's up? I'm smart. Leave me alone. This thing I'm doing now where I'm basically wearing glasses as a headband. I love is, it. It's a, it's like a theater professor affectation yeah. that all I need is a, cigarette and i will complete have completed my i'm actually a drama teacher um life uh simulation but you got it you figured look, it out listen this is what this is my costume this is your look, cross to bear this is my cross jesus get off of it we're not sharing <laughs> doubles what's going on what'd you say i said doubles doubles get over here you crazy sir I was going to say survivor. No, I don't think that happened. I don't no. think that's the Bible. Well, actually, on our part of the Bible, that's right. he, he rises He's again. Like, What's up? I'm back. Yes. Listen, you would not believe. I got a I've season returned. two. I'm. I'm on. <laughs> I've come back. It's because of your sins. Way to go, loser. Um, actually, that's my Bible. This uh, that's perfect because I have a segue off of that. Kind of. Into Game of Thrones, where I have something to yell loudly, uh, but it's a big spoiler. So if you haven't watched it yet, do a quick 30 second swoop forward. But if you have, Karen, I just want to yell, they killed Jon Snow. Yeah, they did. What the fuck? I thought well, he would be there till the end. Uh, I mean, the thing that I have to say to you every time is like, just keep going. <laughs> Don't. Okay, does he come back as a White Walker? That'd be fun. Wouldn't it be interesting? Does he? Well, <gasps> you don't want me to tell you. I though. don't. All right. Spoken. And I'm not telling you, okay. just so you know. This is not, I'm not misleading you or leading you. Okay. Just, I'm neither here nor there. You're just hold, holding me in your but there's, gray I'm hands. Hold, I'm holding this space for you <laughs> while you wonder. Um, there's some great things coming up, though. Oh, but, really? Okay. Yeah, but I couldn't remember how that... I, I, it's so funny to talk about yeah. this show with you, and I can't, I can't remember here and there. But did you finally see that battle scene I was talking about when he has to walk into battle? Probably. Basically by himself 
I'm telling you, I mute and look away during every, <laughs> like, I don't care about battles so much that I'm like, tell me who wins. It's obviously going to be this guy. I'm happy Baratheon's dead because that guy was a fucking dick. Oh, that guy. What a great day on that show oh. when, when Joffrey Baratheon was murdered. No, 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 no. The, the, the brother of the king. Stannis. Stannis. Who killed well, Stannis Baratheon was wait, his, which one was he? He killed his sweet little daughter. And he was boning the red the redheaded witch. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. He That's sucked. right. I was so glad he died. He was really it was a great character for that kind of like when people get pulled you've seen this in your own life when people who were normal and regular suddenly have some new person in their life and they're right. pulled into a dark side where you're like why can't why aren't you looking directly into my eyes what's happening right and, they're like so and so um, read my moon sign and it turns out that i'm actually supposed to be king of the fucking whatever and like right. you're like well maybe you should calm down about it because you keep killing your daughter and like people yeah, maybe you should get back to basics, right? Stannis Baratheon. I thought you were talking about King Joffrey. Oh no, no, he, he died a lot. No, 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 oh, no, no. Okay. He's way okay. dead. He's like super dead. <laughs> and this <laughs> is an irresponsible discussion of Game of Thrones. It's out Why? of. Uh, it's out of. No, I'm just saying. Oh. It's like I'm confused. <laughs> I'm referring to people. I don't even know if that's actually who we're talking about. Like, well, I'm watching it six years later. So this is. Now that I know this, at least this timeline, mm -hmm. you have a you have a, a battle scene coming up uh, in the next season that you okay. cannot you cannot look away from. Is that the one you keep mentioning? Yes. OK, but you have a season to go. So um, I'll try to remind you it's season it's season six, episode nine. OK, wait, I'm in season six now. But yeah, yeah. OK. You're so. in season six? What well, part? Because it ended with Jon Snow dying. So now I'm, I'm on joking, the fucking... like you like you got a part in the show. <laughs> yes, I, I have to walk six. through the streets naked. Oh, that scene. <laughs> I ring that bell. Oh, I throw shit on her. That scene. So intense. Disgusting. Mm hmm I mean, like, craft services that day. I don't know. Oof. Anyway, uh, what you got, girl? Hey, um, girlfriend, what have you got? Hey, did you start watching the Tinder Swindler? Not yet, not yet. Is it great? I just started it today, so I'm, I'm, I'm. I would say thirty minutes into it. Okay. And I will just say this. Say it. Uh, yeah, I think let's talk about it next episode. Okay. Okay, I'll watch it. Because I realized I was sitting there and it was like three o'clock yeah. as I was watching it. And I was like, something's wrong. Am I hungry? <laughs> Am I about to get sick? And I realized this idea oh. of these women who look, who are talking and telling their story to camera and are completely normal, yeah. calm, incredibly like gorgeous women who could probably get anyone they want yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. And they're about on to Twitter tell the story. Twitter. I'm bet, sorry. I bet, either, I bet both. I bet uh, you anything. I bet, <laughs> <laughs> I bet even on parlor. Um, <laughs> on fucking wordle. They're like, what's up everyone? <laughs> hey, did hey. you see my word? But I realized it makes me like physically yes. ill. Yeah. This idea of, 
uh, it's just the dirtiest thing you can do. So that's so way to love someone. It's catfishing, essentially. It is. But in this way that like, once again, you just kind of never seen it to this yeah. degree. Well, I watched Sweet. I watched. I listened to Sweet Bobby, like you mentioned. Yeah. And I, I had a really hard, the first three episodes are what happened. And I had the hardest time going, going through it because it is just this like the, the whole like, uh, emotionally and mentally abusive partner who love bombs, who does all these things. And I've seen friends go through that. And I was just so. I, I think I was like, I hate this show. But then I was like, no, no, no. What I hate is this concept. Yes. And that yep. someone could go be put through that for so long. And it's just, it was so rough. Yeah. Did you finish it? Yeah. Oh, oh okay. I finished it quick. Yes. Right. You have to binge it because you're like, it. please tell me what in the hell is going on. Yeah. I was like, I hate this. I don't want to listen to this anymore. And then I and then I couldn't stop listening to it. I mean, it's good. It's not like I hated it, but it was just like so hard to get through because it's, ugh. it's like being made. It's like someone going, hey, go walk over there and talk to that person where you're like, ew, what do you know? Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like that's it's that feeling of like, I don't want to be here. I shouldn't be listening to yeah. this. This is not my business. And yet, of course, I'm going to listen to it because yeah. it's being presented by the person right. who it happened to. So she has agency in telling <sighs> the story. Yeah. So you kind of have to trust her. Right. In that way. I mean, she's so brave to tell her well, story because she's going to help so many people be aware of what's going on. But it does also like, it's just like, yeah, like I lost a friend to a person who in real life, it wasn't a, it wasn't catfishing, but was that love bombing, get yeah. you away from your friends, make you feel like you're crazy. And I just was every little bit that, sh that sweet Bobby was doing to her was familiar. And I just got so, uh, just like creeped out by it. It yeah. sucks. It sucks. Right. Because it's the kind of thing where when someone is going through what they believe is like, oh, I found someone. Yeah. And so I'm having this great relationship and this great time. I think it gets people at this vulnerable place, which is kind of what we're talking about, yeah. like why it's so difficult. And so you see like you become that person. So you're like, yeah. okay, you're, I see how you're making this wrong decision. Right. You're basing, you're giving too much importance to stuff that actually doesn't matter. Right. And you're not paying attention to the stuff that does, or you're kind of ignoring it. Right. Which is what we all do. Because you're, you're being not, mentally manipulated by using yeah. the basic need in life, which is love and companionship right. that, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be in a relationship, but we all need somehow. And it's just... Heartbreaking. Well, it's dirty. It's, it's dirty, dirty business. It it's is. like, yeah, because to then manipulate a thing like that, which is it's just the grossest thing that you can do insincerely. Yeah. Just to get your way to get money, to get power. Well, this one's so weird control over someone because there isn't gain. There isn't monetary gain, which I think everyone else would understand, you know, like, or her friends would have been like, stop doing this. You're giving too much money. Like, but it wasn't that that wasn't involved in it. It was just purely emotional manipulation for someone else's power trip. Yeah. For it's, it's definitely goes into the area of either sociopathic right. or psychopathic tendencies right. of like, why else would you hurt a person for 10 years? Yeah. Hey, I have something positive. If you need, if oh, you yeah? need a palate cleanser, everyone after <laughs> there's a new HGTV, HG, 
television show, <laughs> HGTV show called Ugliest House in America, hosted by Retta from Parks mm-hmm. and Recreation. And she's she's a comedian. She's so freaking hilarious. And she basically just goes around the country look, and people submit their house as the ugliest house in America. <laughs> so we've got the uh, what we've talked about for cart blue shag carpet in the bathroom and like mirrors on the <laughs> ceiling, like the ugliest fucked up houses you've seen and they're all competing for one of them to get a renovation (laughs) so everyone else is just showing off their house their ugly ass house it's and red is so fucking funny in it like she's just it's just and she looks she looks incredible like her clothes are insane and awesome and like it's just really fun to watch Wait, so sorry, people like are basically giving Retta a tour of their house being like, look how gross this is. Yeah, give me a renovation. <laughs> and they're like, there's like, they do all over the country. And then they're like, one of you will get it. <laughs> so everyone else is fucked. <laughs> they're like an ugly ass house. <sighs> but it's so Damn. enjoyable. Like Vince and I watch and are just like, what the fuck? Like, look at that. Like, just shit. And it's, it's everywhere. Now, sorry to ask, but is, are the people, did, are they responsible for some of the decoration? Did they buy a house and yes. it's just old and they can't afford to yes. update? None of them have done, <laughs> it, are guilty. It's not their fault. None okay. of them are guilty. They got in okay. a house for a bargain or they liked it at the time and then it's just not functional. But yeah, it's, it's really like really entertaining. Ugliest house in America is what it's called. That sounds good. Yeah. So it's a, a good oh, palate cleanser. I have a good um, recommendation. Okay. And this is one of those ones, you know, when you're kind of like, I love, here's why I love podcasting. One of the many reasons, because there's literally a billion podcasts. So (laughs) good luck finding like, you know, there's lists, there's networks, there's people giving you recommendations, but it's also like I consume podcasts very quickly. So I'm always searching for one that's going to like really hook me in and be like, oh, I want to go back to that. Yeah. And I did this one. I found this one randomly because I think I just put in true crime and just saw what came up. (laughs) I swear to God. So this is a C-13 original. Our friends over at Cadence 13, they they know how to make a limited series podcast. It's called Gone South. It's hosted by a guy named Jed Lipinski. And it is the story. um, It's from the 80s. And it's about a a female lawyer um, in uh, this very small, like gated community outside of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And uh, this woman, her name was Margaret Kuhn, very successful um, lawyer. And she was murdered one night. Mm -hmm. And it's the story of basically them. It was an unsolved murder for a long time. And then basically getting back into it and going into it and trying to figure out wow. who was responsible. And it's really well done. Yeah. The interviews are mind boggling. You know, that like a legit New Orleans accent is yeah. kind of amazing to yeah. listen to. It's like the South with a twist of lemon. Um, it was such a delightful listen. There are only, it's a, a, it's short. I think it was only six or seven episodes. Oh, I'm sorry. There's eight episodes, but may, oh, I'm going to give it five stars right now. Now that I'm on here. Um, it was, it's just so good. It's just like it, you breeze through it and 
it's just like the 80s weren't that long ago to me, but Mm -hmm. the 80s were 800 years ago (laughs) in a lot of ways. Yeah, I've been seeing it on the charts. I'll watch it. Gone South. Let's do it. Gone South. Really great. Really great. Okay. Just a good binger as I do my morning dishes or whatever. Yeah. Your morning dishes. Do you have morning, afternoon and night dishes? I think um, for the, (laughs) yeah, because, oh, I'm over here just (laughs) with all my Julia Child recipes. (laughs) No, I think it's just I like to do, I like to pretend I'm I'm a big soaker of dishes. Oh, I'm just going to let them soak. You're like, I would do them. I'm not lazy. I just, they're soaking right now. They have to soak. We have to get that (laughs) layer of nothing off of them. So I like to let them sit for a while, but then in the, I don't like a dirty house in the morning. It bums me out. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to do a morning uh, clean through. We like Vince and I both have like our things that we like to do and clean and stuff. And for unfortunately, neither of us is dishes. Like it just we one of us needs to be like, no, but I love doing dishes. But it's neither of us. Here, throw on your uh, AirPods. Okay. Turn on Gone South and see if those dishes don't bug you a little bit less this time because (laughs) it goes fast. Hey, girl. Uh, yeah, uh, I, th- I think that's all my recommendations that I can think of offhand. I got nothing else. Do you want to do some exactly right network okay. highlights? We might as well. We're here, aren't we? <laughs> we might as well. This week is uh, the season four finale of Tenfold More Wicked because Kate Winkler Dawson won't stop, can't stop, won't stop. Mm. Season five, which is called Blood Feud, is going to drop Monday, March 7th. So if you're wrapping up season four of uh, Tenfold More Wicked, don't worry because season five's right around the corner. That's right. Uh, and we have a new episode <laughs> of Nick Terry's incredible MFM animated videos. It's out now. It's the episode, the episode's called Hair Tie. Uh, it's on the Exactly Right Media YouTube channel. So please subscribe to that. It's the one where Karen <laughs> uses a fucking pad. No, it does. Spoiler. All right. Just go check <laughs> that out at Exactly Right Media's YouTube channel, please. Imagine. Uh, what, what would be something I would wrap my hair in to tie my hair back to wash my face? Uh, <laughs> that would get the biggest to, uh, elicit the biggest response out of a gr- room full of people. That's right. Uh, discover that now. You could have actually said it. I don't know why I'm trying to pretend that this is any more I mean, exciting than it is. Can, you've heard. You've heard us talk about it, so it's not like it's <laughs> new. But the True. animation that Nick Terry fucking <laughs> achieves when he does these <laughs> MFM animated videos are is just like high art. I'm just he's just incredible. He's really good. Yeah. Oh, that was that's in the middle, but now we're going back to the um network shows. I saw what you did is now closing out their Black History Month programming. They've got a double feature of horror films by Black filmmakers. This uh, They're going to be doing Us and Tales from the Hood. Mm, epic. A nice side-by-side analysis of two horror movies by Black filmmakers. And then also, uh, we have the Fuck You, I'm Mary joggers back in stock for anyone who needs them uh, at myfavoritemurder.com. Um, am I first? I think you are. All right. Well, fine. Then I'll go first. Do it then. I'm gonna. 
If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of made-in products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Okay, Karen, this is a story that seems like it should have been huge, but I hadn't heard about till I saw it on Reddit late one night. Um, But you probably heard of it because it's from your area of birth, your hometown. Uh, This is the Gypsy Hill Killings. Hmm. I don't know if I've heard of it. Oh, okay. It's also known as the San Mateo Slayer. Oh, okay. And this uh, terrified the San Francisco Peninsula area when in less than four months, five women were killed back in the 70s. Mm. So the sources I use today are four San Mateo Times articles, one written by Janet Parker, uh, Rick Sullivan, and two by the staff, a Pacifica Tribune staff article, a KTVU staff article, two BuzzFeed articles uh, by Stephanie Bayer and Stephanie McNeil, Associated Press staff article, a CBS 13 Sacramento staff article, the National Registry of Exonerations, and a San Mateo Daily Journal article written by Anna Schusler. All right. So nice. KTVU is our home oh. local st- station. Okay. There's only one, too. 
And <laughs> I fucking uh, love that shit. That's where the great uh, Dennis Richmond was the news anchor yes. for all of my life. Legendary. I've talked about him on the show. Yeah. Times. Not to, but please don't forget the great Dave McElhatton, who actually, now that I think about it, may have been on KPI pick KPIX uh, channel five. But um, anyway, KTVU, literally, you said that and like, the weirdest thing of like my heart goes like oh that's my station that's my home <laughs> yeah. station Back do you have that do you have that for orange county i have it for la because we just got la's station oh right, right. so um so dallas rains our fucking <laughs> incredible weather guy legend i've i've been with that's not it he's been part of my life since i was a child <laughs> It was like you fucked Dallas. Oh, Rains. I've been with amazing. Dallas Rains. He was my first husband. You didn't know that. <laughs> We've all been with Dallas Rains in in many ways. <laughs> I think I used to do a bit about him because watching him, it really seemed like he's stoned when he <laughs> talks about. And I, then I, it was like because I used to only watch local. I used to only be able to get local TV right. in my apart in my studio apartment in Hollywood. So I watched a lot of like local news and yeah. every once in a while Dallas Reigns would come on and it was the most entertaining thing. I guess maybe he always looked like someone I wanted to be my stepdad. Like I always was like, yeah. mom, marry a Dallas Reigns, please. I will be Georgia Reigns. No, I wouldn't. Dad, Marty, I would never change my last name. However, she, you know. Yeah. Like a tan guy that uh, clearly drives a convertible yeah. and has for 40 years. Yeah. I'm like treat Janet right. You know? Yeah, and be kind of chill and, you know, just go to brunch and enjoy yourselves. And be fun and let, like, the kids ride in the front seat of the convertible. I'm sure you had one of those giant fucking car phones back then. <laughs> you know, all that all that local news money. Yeah, he had, he immediately had a car phone with a, a ring cord. Like, yeah. 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 Okay, where the fuck were we? Now let's get into the shit. Okay. January 7th, it's 1976. Around 6 p.m., Veronica Casillo, who went by Ronnie, is waiting for a bus in Pacifica, California. As you know, Karen, it's a quiet beach city about 12 miles outside of San Francisco. Um, and Veronica's headed to a friend's birthday party. But the 18-year-old uh, high school student never makes it to the party. And the next day, her nude body is found by a 16-year-old boy. Oh, I know. Awful. Um, she's in a creek that runs through the um, grounds of a golf course near. It's near the bus stop where she was last seen. So she hadn't gone gotten far. She'd been sexually assaulted and stabbed more than 30 times in the neck, chest and abdomen. I don't think I've ever heard this. That's near this you, one. right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Pacifica's right south. Um it's my cousin lives there and it's very foggy. You, it's like oh. socked in fog, like crazy. Can't yeah. see in front of you, but it's a little south for, for me growing up and maybe a tiny bit early for yeah. when I first trailside killer was when I really started becoming aware that yeah. serial killers were a thing. And maybe this was just a little bit early. Yeah. Me. Maybe your parents were like, Go in the, you can have hot chocolate if you get out of the news, <laughs> the living room and don't watch this horrible news. <laughs> Just a month later, on February 4th, 17 year old Paula Louise Baxter, she goes to her high school in the evening for, to rehearse for a play she's in, um, at her Millbrae, California high school in the same area. And Millbrae that is where all my cousins, like all the rest of my cousins grew up in Millbrae. Oh, wow. So I actually, I didn't realize San Mateo is the county, I think. Yeah. And maybe one of the bigger cities, but this is, I know exactly what this area is. Okay. 
but it's all like the the foggy on the coast San Francisco area. Yep. So she leaves rehearsal at around 8 p.m. and never makes it home. And hours later, her car is found parked on a residential street just three blocks from the school. Um, and the wheels, the undercarriage and the driver's side floor are all muddy and the keys are still in the ignition, but there's no blood found inside the car. And then two days later, on February 16th, a group of students gather together to do a search team, which is like, oh, you guys. And they search behind a church in Milbrae where they find Paula's nude body in a grove of eucalyptus trees. Ugh. There are tire tracks leading away from her body. And she had also been sexually assaulted and stabbed four times in, again, the neck, chest and abdomen. San Mateo residents think that the what what's being called the San Mateo slasher has moved on when there isn't a body found the following month. Like they think that's the pattern. Um, but those hopes are destroyed when another murder victim is found the following month. During the evening hours of April 1st, 19-year-old Denise Lynn Lamp and a friend have a shopping date at the Sarah Monte Shopping Center in Daly City, mm-hmm. which is right next to where I lived in San Francisco in the, um, in the Sunset District. Yep. So Daly City is a totally sleepy town right outside of San Francisco. The song Little Boxes is based on Daly City. Um, it's like a total suburb and Denise actually works as a cosmetic salesperson at one of the department stores in the shopping center. So she knows the area well. Um, and so when Denise and her friend are done shopping, they, the two women split up and they head to their cars with plans to meet at Denise's house. And the friend heads over to Denise's waits for a long time. And when Denise never shows up, the friend goes back to the mall because she knows something isn't right. She locates Denise's car along with the security guard. And when they look inside, they find Denise's bloodied body, quote, crumpled in the front seat. And she'd been stabbed 20 times in the chest and arms. Of course, the friend is absolutely shocked and confused as she had just seen Denise alive 30 minutes prior. I can't imagine what happened in that short time. Oh, my God. And also to be that person like that, that is such a tectonic shift in your reality. That's horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Investigators, of course, noticed that Denise's murder is similar to the murders of Veronica and Paula. Um, and like the previous victims, Denise was young and they all had long brown hair parted down the middle. They they do all look strikingly similar, but that was also the look at the time. So, you know, who knows? But they, they do look very similar. Yeah. And they'd all been stabbed multiple times. But investigators also noticed a couple of major differences. Denise had been attacked in a public place. Uh, and she wasn't stabbed in the neck, which I don't think is, you know, that doesn't have to be an MO. Um, and she wasn't sexually assaulted, although investigators, investigators can't explain the first and second differences, but they have a theory for the third, which is that the killer did plan to sexually assault Denise, but she fought back so aggressively that he abandoned the sexual assault and murdered her. So it, it also could have been that because she was in a, she was attacked in a public place. This is what I think that maybe he did that and then took them to another location in their car, it seems like. And he wasn't yeah. able to because she fought back. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So the following month in May, a fourth victim is found dead, this time in South San Francisco, 
26-year-old Carol Lee Booth, known as Beatty to her friends, had been reported missing by her husband, Michael, months earlier in March. The last time anyone saw her, she was leaving a bus stop walking toward her house. And she just finished her first day as a sec- at a secretarial job, but she had never made it home. So she had gone missing in March. In May, Carol's body is discovered in a heavily wooded area near Colma Creek. And her shallow grave is just off a dirt path used as a shortcut, mostly by high school students. But Carol was known to use the shortcut and she had been sexually assaulted and stabbed to death. Investigators were fairly certain that Carol's murder was also related to the previous three. Carol was older than the other victims, but apparently she looked much younger and she was taking a path that high school students took. So she could have been confused for a high school student. In mid-May, multiple law enforcement agencies meet to discuss the four murders, seemingly related murders. All four are thought to be connected, but only the murders of Veronica and Paula have been officially linked via hair and semen. And results show the suspect as being a white male with brown hair. And this is, sorry, 1976. So there's yeah. almost no testing that like... Right. Yeah, that it. that's... I just, it's just so mind-blowing to think yeah. back then that they had to solve murders and with all that, you know, it was like the saliva test or whatever. Yeah. Like there was so, it was such old, inaccurate. Yeah. It seemed like back then it was like they could tell the blood type of the person and that was about it, right? Yeah. If they were a secretor or not. Right. Yeah. Right. But then it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's crazy. We're so lucky these days. Yeah. In June, the fifth and final victim is found again in Pacifica. 14-year-old Tatiana Blackwell, known as Tanya, had been reported missing by her mom on January 24th. Um, She had left the house to run an errand but never returned. Almost six months later on June 6th, and just a mile from her home, Tanya's body is discovered in a grove of trees located off an access road in the Gypsy Hill area which is uh, how the killer got his new moniker, the Gypsy Hill Killer. And because, unfortunately, Tanya's body has decomposed over the last several months, the medical examiner is unable to tell if she'd been sexually assaulted. And But her, however, her body was found fully clothed. And just like Veronica, Paula, Denise, and Carol, Tanya had been stabbed multiple times. Mm. Law enforcement agencies continue to work together to solve these five murders uh, in the San Mateo County area. But with the lack of DNA technology and eyewitnesses, they come up empty and the cases go cold for decades. Then in March of 2014, so fucking long time. Yeah. The Gypsy Hill killings cases are reopened after the FBI forms a task force with multiple local law enforcement agencies. I fucking did not hear about this. Like, I didn't know about this at all. Same. They have the DNA available from two of the murders tested. And by July, they have a hit on those two cases. Finally, Uh, the name is Rodney Halbauer, a 65 year old man who's been in prison or on the lamb since the 1960s. In 1964, he spent a short amount of time behind bars after he stole a car in Michigan, He where he grew up and lived at the time. Basically, he's in and out of prison for the next decade on stuff like breaking and entering robbery. He occasionally escapes from prison, blah, blah, blah. He sucks. Um, and he's released in 1975, right when the murders start happening. 
and moves out west to Nevada. So in December of 1975, he's arrested for raping a blackjack dealer in Reno um, and released on bail. In May of 76, he's sentenced to life in prison for the rape. But in the next year, he escapes prison, goes back to Michigan, kidnaps his daughter, gets caught, and authorities agree to drop the kidnapping charges if he agreed to go back to Nevada to finish out the sentence. Um he stays in prison until December of 1986 when he escapes again. And he's arrested within days in Oregon after he raped and attempted to murder a woman. Hal Bauer was convicted and sentenced to 15 years, but was sent back to Nevada to finish up that term. 2013, he's granted parole in Nevada and was immediately sent to Oregon to serve the 15-year term he'd received back way back when. And thankfully, finally, when he gets to the new prison, a sample of his DNA was taken and entered into the national database. And that's how the Gypsy Hill Killing Task Force got a match for the murders of Paula and Veronica. Wow. It's, it seems like just a coincidence that within a year, they were able to catch him. Yeah. Okay. Then in a, what was seemingly an unrelated case at this point, Authorities in Reno, Nevada, also received a notification that Hal Bauer's DNA matches one of their cases. That's the 1976 murder of 19-year-old Michelle Mitchell. So on February 24th, 1976, in Reno, 19-year-old nursing student Michelle Mitchell calls her mom for a ride after her car breaks down across the street from the University of Nevada, Reno. And within 10 minutes, her mom shows up and Michelle's already gone. Mm. A few hours later, Michelle's body is found in a garage across from the university. Her hands had been tied behind her back. Her throat had been slashed. Um, she had not been sexually assaulted, but her keys are missing. And there's a cigarette, but real close to her body. But here's the thing. Someone had been in prison for decades already for Michelle's murder. In 1979, authorities in Shreveport, Louisiana, called the Reno police to let them know that a woman named Kathy Woods, who was a patient at uh, a mental hospital there, had told a staff member she had killed a girl named Michelle in Reno. Despite her obvious and well-documented mental health history, including a schizophrenia diagnosis, Reno police go and meet with her, and despite her confession only including information that had been reported in the media, as well as other red flags, Kathy is charged with Michelle's murder, and in 1980, she's convicted based almost solely on her false confession. Mm -hmm. In 2013, so back to when we're fucking figuring out what's going on in 2013, Kathy reaches out to the innocence project who agreed to help her. And then the fall of that year, DNA on that cigarette butt that was found near Michelle's body is tested. And as expected, it didn't match Kathy, but it did match an at the time unknown male. However, authorities kept Kathy in jail, suggesting that perhaps she was an accomplice. Mm. It's so bananas how little they paid attention to what was really going on. Um, but finally, when the DNA matches, Hal Bauer, Michelle Mitchell's murder investigation is reopened and Kathy is exonerated. Wow. Mm. Unfortunately, there isn't enough DNA evidence to test in Tanya and Carol's cases. However, according to BuzzFeed, 
Authorities have, quote, no reason to believe anyone else besides Halbauer was involved in their murders. Um, which w- would be great to believe, but like that there's only one murderer in that year in San Mateo County. And I do think that he probably was responsible for them. But what, what's so sad that you and I know is that, or that we all know is that there's, there's a lot of bad people out there. Well, and also in the seventies, there were those like with the, we've talked about a couple times yeah. where there's like the, there was a bunch of crazy shit happening in Santa Cruz. Yeah, there was a lot of like drifter type drug people, drifters, you know, mm-hmm. ragers. Those people where it's just like suddenly they want to kill a college right. a girl that's in college or whatever. Like there's that story's. We've done that one a bunch of times. You did the like the I-5 killer and it turns out there were like three of them operating at one fucking time. (laughs) Like we want to believe it's just this one monster, but really it's it's so far reaching. Yes. But also we do have to remember that the I-5 goes from like Mexico (laughs) to fucking Canada. It's, you know, that's not one guy. Sometimes these names aren't great. Right. Yeah, totally. So then a blood stain on Denise's jacket is tested um, and they don't find Hal Bauer's DNA. Instead, they find the DNA of a man named Leon Melvin Seymour, who's a 71 year old sexually violent predator and inmate slash patient at Coalinga State Hospital. So there were two predators at that time hmm. working in the same manner in the same area. Uh, Seymour's first conviction was in 1973 for assault with intent to rape in San Mateo County. And since then, he'd been convicted of kidnapping and sexually assaulting six women in multiple California counties. Hmm. So in November 2018, he's charged with torturing and murdering Denise. He pleads not guilty, goes to trial in March 2020. COVID happens. Trials postponed. And as of right now, um, Seymour's case hasn't gone back to trial. Meanwhile, the task force is still unable to connect Halbauer to Carol and Tanya's murders, but they want to make sure Halbauer remains behind bars forever. So authorities move forward with charges for uh, Paula and Veronica's murders, which does have the match DNA. And he goes to trial in 2018. The jury convicts him on all counts, and he's currently facing charges for the murder of Michelle Mitchell in Nevada. So here's a weird little aside. It's like a twist that happened in the case. So back in 1989, a woman in California named Eileen Franklin Lipsker claimed that she had a recovered memory that had been repressed, that her father, George Thomas Franklin Sr., had raped and murdered her best friend, Susan Nason, when they were eight years old back in Northern California, 20 years before. So he gets charged with uh, Susan's murder and based only on Eileen's testimony, his daughter's testimony, your face, cringing face is correct. I, uh, yeah, that's yeah. shocking. He's charged with Susan's murder based only on Eileen's testimony, as well as that of her sister, who claimed that their father was a pedophile who had molested and raped them when they were kids. And the case is super high profile and controversial as it was the first in which a recovered memory was used in a criminal prosecution. Mm-hmm. And you remember this started a trend of like these disturbing repressed childhood memories coming to light with people in therapy. Yeah. And it, yeah, it was like it, it was almost like similar to this and around the time of the satanic panic. Right. right. 
Yeah. Because there's oftentimes, well, I mean, I, this is very generalized, but yeah. just my memory of the different cases where there would be ritualistic child abuse right. involved in some of these recovered memories right. where the, it, it was absolutely parallel to satanic panic yeah. where it was kind of almost like in the consciousness. Right. Um, so, you know, then you had the things like the, um, the, the Mick, the McLaren, whatever the family was, where they were yeah. running the daycare. I, I covered that in our live oh, show. Oh, you did. I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's intense. But yeah, it's it's horrible to think that the, these if these two girls lived through that, that yeah. then they got into that position where they're the only two and that's the only evidence. Like why, yeah. how you have to build that case so that it's not all on their shoulders. Right. I mean, like, that's horrifying. It does seem in the end like, so let me tell you what happens. Um, so <laughs> I should keep talking about it when I have no <laughs> idea what I'm fucking. Well, talking about. no, no, you make a good point. Um, and so George Thomas Franklin Sr. is found guilty and sentenced to life based on the testimony of his daughters. Then Eileen said she has more recovered memories, this time that her dad had killed two of the Gypsy Hill murder victims, Veronica Caseo and Paula Baxter in Milbray. So she's like, she killed my he he killed my best friend. I witnessed it. And also he is the Gypsy Hill killers murderers. Mm hmm. So in 1995, though, his conviction for the murder of uh, Nace on the little girl is overturned. Eileen and her sister have a falling out and her sister confesses that Eileen's, quote, repressed memory that she had just had randomly hadn't come out of the blue as she testified, but had actually come up when Eileen had been hypnotized. Which seems like a lot of the the way those old repressed memories at the time came up. And it turns out Testimony-based hypnosis-induced memories are deemed unreliable by California's Supreme Court, which means that Eileen had committed perjury. Mm. So she just kept that to herself and it was like, it came out of nowhere. I mean, she seems like she believed it. She just didn't want to admit that it came out of hypnosis. It also feels like if this really happened to those girls and they had to be quiet about it for so long, yeah. then they finally came forward and were like empowered to tell the truth yeah. about how horrible their childhoods were. Then it would almost feel like, like to me, the, just the human part of that feels like it's like, I need to really prove this. I need right. to really drive this home. It wasn't just me. It was these other people. Yeah. He's the worst person. He's a serial killer. He killed these other girls. Like yeah. it's almost, it, it feels like more of that kind of please be on my side. Right, like proof. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I will say though, so, um, so DNA testing is done on the evidence. Obviously he's not the gypsy Hill murderer. Um, Etc. Etc. So although he didn't do that, Eileen maintains that their father, who died in 2016, did sexually abuse her as a child and sexually abuse her and her sister, which, you know, seems possible. And in fact, Susan Nason's case is still unsolved. So it could still be possible that he is indeed the killer. Like, we, there's just not enough evidence. But it's almost like I wish it was a time where she would understand that just that happening to her and her sister was plenty. Right. Like n in no way accusing her of lying or doing anything at all, knowing nothing about it, but just knowing that feeling of like that, 
That's, that's enough. Yeah, it's horrible. And then that, yeah. but she might have believed it. That's the thing. Like, especially under hypnosis and you start to believe this thing, you know, and, and I read, I read this other totally different article about how memories are so fallible and yeah. people make up things in their head that they absolutely believe. It yeah. doesn't mean she was making it up or lying. It might have just been that her memory, you know, she's eight. Her memory was, you know, uh, her memory was trauma based. Yeah. She yeah. went through horrible things. That, her like, friend died when she was eight. Like, yeah, all of these horrible things. And her dad yeah. was a predator. Allegedly, you know, it, it makes sense. And it's really tragic. It's really tragic. Yeah. yeah. So as for Kathy Woods, she was the longest ever wrongfully imprisoned woman in, in U.S. history. Whoa. Who had confessed to the murder of Michelle. And in 2016, her lawyers filed a federal civil rights lawsuit against frickin everyone involved and ended up receiving millions of dollars in compensation. She died on July 15th, 2021. Um, and finally, I looked up the hometowns related to this case. We got one sent in by someone who goes, who just signed it E, whose mother went to school with Paula Baxter, the girl who was murdered after leaving her high school theater rehearsal. Mm -hmm. um, and she says that there were rumors when E went to the same high school, you know, much later that there were, that there was a ghost of a girl who haunted the school who had been murdered. That's all she knew. So she goes home and asks her mom about it, who was in high school along with Paula. And the, and her, E's mom told her the story. And then E goes on to say, quote, Miss Baxter, Paula's mother, was wonderful because she was my grandmother's friend and lived in our neighborhood. My sister and I would go to her house every year and sell her Girl Scout cookies. And she would come visit my grandma. She made some fantastic shortbread. I hope that these women and their families were given some small bit of peace with Rodney's conviction. And I made sure to educate everyone at school on what happened whenever they talked about the ghost. It's important that people know their names, that they were real people with real dreams and people who miss them dearly. And that is the Gypsy Hill killings. God. So it really was that guy mm -hmm. that they got, that yes. they got the DNA for, but for only for a couple of them. They got him definitively for three of the total murders. Yeah. Uh, one of them wasn't him. And then two others, it seems like they're pretty certain it was him. God damn. It, it's also very interesting because um, I don't think you said it for all of them, but for a lot of them, them being found in groves of trees. Yeah. Yeah. They're like all kind of nature outdoors and they all were kidnapped from the street, you know? Yeah. It's just really, wow. yeah, really tragic. Yeah. Also, man, just like the mid seventies. I just feel like it's just like yeah. free reign for these predators. And then like, I mean, of course, also they got such short prison sentences for such horrendous acts of violence against women. Yeah. And then we're able to fucking escape, you know, it's just. Also, there's, you know, it, there, it, 
we've talked about this a little bit, but it was that thing of like the summer of love in 1969 had this influx Mm -hmm. of runaways and, you know, college dropouts or high schoolers or whatever, just young people in San Francisco thinking like they were causing, you know, that it was the revolution and they were going to change. And it drew predators to that area because people were doing drugs freely. They, there was a lot of like trust and a lot of assumptions that like people were going to naturally be good if yeah. they were like hi- hippie types. Right. And so I, I that just kind of struck me too, whereas like every area you just talked about and all those, it's just like basically goes right down, out, it drips out of San Francisco and right down yeah. into South City, Daly City, mm-hmm. Colma, fucking Millbrae, where just all of it. Along the coast, I feel like hitchhiking was how you got around back then yeah right too so like yeah. you know not to say that they were hitchhiking i have no clue but it was well just yeah like there tr- was a more trusting time right and yeah. like we were more naive unfortunately trusting and then so dangerous like so dangerous. the unholy combination of this two. yeah Ugh, Ugh. man Ugh. great job that Thank was you. fascinating Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter her promo code space 80. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old timey cash register that really takes me back. I know it sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. 
Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. All right. Well, we're going to change gears now and I'm going to downshift you into a survival story. Please. Right? Yeah. This is what we like to do, the one-two punch of the show, My Favorite Murder. (laughs) I believe Hannah Crichton is the one who found this survival story. And the second she told me about it, I was like, oh my, oh my God. She's good. I cannot wait. She's good at suggesting stories that like, you're like, you know me so well. Yeah. Well, Hannah is a true crime fan herself. Yeah. And then she's listened to our show. So and she then she's notes. a professional producer. So she's like. <laughs> and then she's our producer. So it's kind of a dream come true. Yeah. Okay. So this is the survival story of cruise ship. Well, I'm, uh, you know, let me just, no. let me just tell you, actually. Okay. Let me just tell you. Okay. I like that little tidbit of start, though. I just realized it's like, it's all, it reminds me of doing the minis where it's, it's yeah. just going to give it away. Don't read that. Yeah. Do it. Okay. So we start on the morning of Saturday, August 3rd, 1991. Okay. And cruise ship musicians Moss and Tracy Hills. So his first name is Moss. Amazing. Right. And his wife, Tracy. They're aboard the Greek-owned cruise liner, the MTS Oceanus. They're cruise ship musicians. So they're docked. They're gearing up to sail from East London, South Africa to Durban, South Africa. Um, It's a little quick cruise, a little jaunt that they're about to go on. So the past two nights before that, they had been working and there had been both a bachelor party on the ship and a wedding. So they have like gotten very little sleep. Mm. They're both really exhausted. They eat breakfast together that morning, but then Tracy goes back to bed to try to catch up on some sleep. Moss walks into the harbor town um, to shop a little bit and then to call his mom from a payphone. Okay. So as Moss is catching up with his mom, she expresses concern about the weather that they're having down in this area. So the night before, during the wedding that the couple had to perform at, the ship sailed into a storm and um, it got very, very rocky. So they actually were forced to dock during the reception. It's not looking much better today, but Moss assures his mom that everything is going to be fine because even if they do sail out and there is a storm, the Oceanus is big enough that it can handle it. Right. So when Moss gets back on board the ship, he gets word that the launch is going to be delayed because of the bad weather. So departure time, it keeps getting pushed. But finally, the weather conditions clear up enough for the Oceanus to set sail from East London. So the captain, a man named Giannis Avranis, is a seasoned sailor. He's got about 30 years experience. And there are 571 passengers and crew members on board this ship. So normally, Moss and Tracy would be performing a quote unquote sail away show Mm -hmm. out on deck once the ship 
um, like leaves the dock or the harbor, I should say. <laughs> it's a huge cruise ship, <laughs> whatever, not a dock. But the wind is blowing at 40 knots. So, and the swells in the ocean are, are nearing 30 feet high. No. Yeah. So the show's moved to the main lounge indoors. And even in these inclement conditions, passengers, they sing, they dance. They're all excited for the voyage. They're like into it. They also trust that the Oceanus is big enough and can handle it. Yeah. So that night, dinner scheduled for seven o'clock. And then the evening cabaret show that Moss and Tracy are going to be performing at is at 10 o'clock. But during dinner service, the ship is rocking to the point where experienced cruise ship waiters are dropping trays and spilling food, mm -hmm. which is something Moss has never seen before. Shit. Because that's their experience yeah. in being like, rock, you know, everything's rocky and they can put a big, huge tray on their shoulder yeah. or whatever. So Moss isn't really concerned until after dinner when he goes to the office to pick up his and Tracy's paychecks. And as he's waiting for them, he watches as one of the computers breaks free from the hold <gasps> and crashes to the ground. Uh -oh. And that's when Moss decides he probably should go up to the performance area and tie down their musical equipment because <laughs> he's like, this is getting crazy. Yeah. And even though everyone's acting like it's fine, it's fine. Like. You know, yeah. be better to be safe than sorry. Yeah. So he runs up and tries to do this very discreetly so as not to cause concern among the passengers. So around 845, Moss makes his way back to their cabin, his and Tracy's cabin. And as he does, he notices security guards and crew members, some of them wet and wearing life jackets, mm. running around the ship and grabbing belongings from their cabins. Cool. Right. A great feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Just what you want to see on the high seas. <laughs> not haunting, not spine chilling at all. <laughs> Ominous. Moss rushes back to the cabin and he tells Tracy to put on jeans and running shoes because they might have to abandon ship. Jesus. So once she changes, um, the two of them make their way up to the main lounge. So their show's supposed to start in less than an hour. No. Yeah, and the lounge is packed with passengers that are waiting for the show to start. Uh -uh. There, there has to be a jukebox. Fucking put on some fucking I yacht mean, I rock and get the fuck out of there. There's like some um, music being piped in. Absolutely, and the whole boat's just like. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so around nine thirty. Mm -hmm. The rocking gets more violent and then the power goes out. What's up, Titanic? Like, I would yeah. just lose my mind. Right? Not cool. So the power goes out. The emergency lighting comes on. It's dim. Yeah. It's not It's not the same. <laughs> um, so Moss and Tracy, along with another performer named Robin Boltman, decide they need to get up there and start performing and distract people and keep them, keep the crowd calm. <sighs> so basically... <laughs> and. There's an episode of Snap Judgment, um, Glenn Washington's great oh, podcast, so good. Snap Judgment, uh -huh. who, and he also makes Spooked, two of my favorite podcasts. And this guy, Moss Hills, actually tells his own survival story. Wow. It's called Don't Go Down With The Ship. So uh, you can hear him tell the story. But he basically says he gets up there and starts going, sorry, folks, we didn't pay our electric bill. <laughs> like he's just <laughs> he starts riffing and they're just fucking around. Yeah. They're trying to do. And because there's no electricity, they can't. They're not the 
they're not equipped to right. play normally. So he's playing acoustic guitar and they're getting everybody to do sing-alongs. Oh my God. And he says that fucking professionals. Total professionals till, till, till the end. Till literally. Yeah. He also says that the key to any sing-along in an emergency situation is you have to play the Beatles because it doesn't oh. matter what's happening around people. They will always sing along to a Beatles song. That's smart. I was going to say Sweet Caroline, but I don't know all the words to that. And I don't think I think everyone just knows the chorus. Everyone just knows dun, dun, dun. Da, 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 but Beatles makes sense. OK. OK, so. This actually ends up working for a little while, but eventually, with no emergency announcement or any communication from the captain yeah. of any kind, Moss and Tracy and Robin are no longer able to assuage everyone's fear. So clearly, you know, the lights are out. Yeah. Everybody's singing. The rocking's going crazy. It's like, what is going totally. on? So Moss leaves to find the cruise director. Her name's Lorraine Betts. So it turns out that the, Lorraine has spoken to Captain Avranis, and he told her that there's a problem with the ship's engine and that everyone needs to get ready to abandon ship. <gasps> yeah. Oh, my God. Like, would you have told me if I hadn't asked you? Right. Exactly. Like, what's why? Why are you being secretive about it? So yeah. Moss was completely right. Yeah. Then when he told <laughs> Tracy, which I love because Tracy's now in jeans and tennis shoes, but she's up there like, yeah. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so Moss argues against this plan. He says the waves are too rocky for them to actually safely get onto lifeboats right yeah. now. And especially in the middle of the night, there's no electricity on the boat, which means they'll be in pitch blackness right. out side uh with 30 foot waves if there's whatever 30 foot waves i'd rather be on a giant boat than a little fucking thingy that's right so moss is saying as long as the boat isn't taking on water it's best to just wait out the storm until morning and get towed into shore in the light of day yeah but captain Evranus has assured lorraine the boat is not sinking but he still stands by his plan to abandon ship okay bro so, good luck not Peace. You're just like, hmm, there feels like there's a piece missing here, yeah, sir. Later days. And so something feels fishy to Moss. He, I knew something was fishy because I've already read this story, but Moss <laughs> knew because he knew. Got it. So he grabs another entertainer, his <laughs> name, Julian Butler, and he's the magician, oh. which this is like really firming up to be a great you know, Ocean's Eleven style yeah. uh, survival story. It also sounds like a joke that the music, the musician and the, um, never mind, ship singer walk into a <laughs> bar or a ship or a lounge. Okay. Yep. Sorry. Well, and you were really close, but it's the musician and the magician get together. Oh, shit. Right? What did I say? You were right, you were right next to it. Oh. So Moss and... Julian, the magician, mm -hmm. sneak down below deck towards the engine room to investigate the situation for themselves because they're like, we don't like we don't like this. Shit. How this is adding up as they make their way through the dark, eerie, abandoned underbelly of the ship. They find everything to be dry, which is a good sign. Mm -hmm. But then as they get deeper through the passageway, they discover that a set of watertight doors are closed and sealing off an entire section of the ship. The doors are holding, so if there's a leak, it's clearly safely contained on the other side. But if Moss and Julian open the door to find out, they risk flooding the ship. So they collect all that information. They run back up to the upper decks to tell Lorraine what they saw. 
only to find members of the crew lowering lifeboats onto the embarkation deck and climbing in alongside women and children. So uh, there's crew members that are like, I'm out of here and yeah. I don't care what the rules are, which is insanely gross. Make way. Still, Captain Avranas insists the ship isn't sinking and that the lifeboats are just a precaution and no alarm has sounded and no emergency announcement has been made still. So at this point, any trust that Moss may have had in the captain is gone. He goes below deck again, this time armed with a video camera. And as he reaches the lower deck, he hears a rush of water. He peers around the corner of the stairwell landing and sees for himself proof this ship is indeed sinking. Why didn't he tell anyone he didn't want to? Like, why didn't the captain say that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You don't want anyone to panic? I don't know. Yeah, I guess he couldn't. He just couldn't deal. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So Moss runs back to the upper deck. He sees Lorraine. She tells Moss to come with her to the bridge. And he follows and brings Julian. And when they get there, the captain and his, and his senior officers are nowhere to be found. They're not at the bridge where the ra- where the emergency radio is, yeah. where you're steering the ship. No, Ugh. it's all they're all gone. Okay, so it turns out that the entertainment crew have been left to evacuate the ship on their own. Fuck. Yeah. Imagine that feeling. Yeah. Where you're like, sorry, me and the magician right. are going to do this? <laughs> you okay. know us, these are seafaring <laughs> fucking entertainers. Uh, at least he has a hat. Okay, so... I'll tell you really quick about the MTS Oceanus. It was originally built as a passenger cargo ship in 1957. No. Uh-huh. And it was named the Jean Laborde. The ship changes hands and names at least four times over the next decade. And then finally in 1976, it's sold for the last time. It ends up with a Greek shipping company that manages cargo ships, tanker vessels, and cruise ships called Epirotiki Lines. I'm definitely not pronouncing that right. Epirotiki Lines renames the ship the Oceanus and renovates it to operate solely as a cruise liner. By 1988, the cruise tour business sees such a boom in South Africa that the company TFC Tours of Johannesburg charters the Oceanus for eight months, prompting the ship's 1991 journey. So that's just kind of basically how it got here mm-hmm. and the fact that like cruise ships were and taking cruises was really popular. Um, but this ship may not have been the best in the biz. Can we, can you and I and everyone listening agree that we won't get on a cruise ship that is more than a quarter of our age? Everyone. (laughs) That's, that's good. That's a great agreement. I feel like the newer, the better, but also the idea, and we've talked, I think we've talked about this before because I went on a cruise with my parents. Yes. My parents used to work on cruise yes. ships and that's how they met. But the one time there was a storm. Yeah. And I, I was like, I need to get off this thing right yeah. now. It was so scary to me and it wasn't bad at all. It was just a little bit of, it's not turbulence on a ship. What's Rocking. It Tur- yeah. I mean, turbulence. There's, I mean, there's a word for it, but like it's so, I don't want to be on the ocean in bad times. I've never been on a cruise. I, unless it's on the Rhine or some like calm river where I get to go to the fucking Alpines or whatever the fuck. Hell yeah. I don't know. The Alpines. (laughs) The Alpines. I don't know what that means. (laughs) I 
Is that a bar? Air Weiss. The Rhine. I, I don't want to fucking get on a giant boat. I don't. And then the ocean is like, can we stop pretending we know the ocean right. so well that we can just fuck around yeah. on it and do what we want? Like, <laughs> please stop it. Guys, fucking. Here be monsters. It's I've like, said it before. We know less about the depths of the, the deepest depths of the ocean than we about motherfucking space. Yes. Oh, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> Which also don't make me start arguing why that means the Loch Ness monster's real. Okay. I, I believe it. <sighs> okay. So, so the Oceanus racks up thousands of miles of travel between 1976 and 1991, and it's got the wear and tear to show for it. There's loose hull plates and there's an ill-fitted ventilation pipe creating a 10 centimeter hole in what's supposed to be a walled barrier, a.k.a. the bulkhead, uh, between the ship's generator and the sewage tank. So there's supposed to be just yeah. a straight up wall, as you would imagine, uh, with uh, with no 10 centimeter holes in it. But mm -hmm. so the ship's sewage system is also uh, in need of repair. After all the showers and toilets across the entire ship start overflowing with bilge water on a voyage to Mo Mozambique in the early 90s. And as a result, several of the non-return valves on the sewage holding tank are removed for repair. Yeah. But unfortunately, those repairs are not made by the time the Oceanus sets sail for Durban on August 3rd, 1991, which explains why at around 9.30 p.m., on the day that we're talking about, the ship's engineer hears an explosion coming from the engine room. When he goes to inspect it, he finds water pouring into the generator room through the hull. The fl this flood quickly shorts out the generators and cuts the power to the entire ship, including the engine. So when all the lights went off and they had to do their acoustic sing-along, mm -hmm. there was no engine power oh, at that point. Cool. The whole ship was dead. Cool. Was this... um? sewage water or just water water uh it's sounding to me like sewage is in the mix here yeah can i just say more like oceanus <laughs> so i mean that's your choice <laughs> steven edit that out that was juvenile and i refuse no no you can do it please <laughs> i'm not said no <laughs> i refuse <laughs> that's right steven stand up as the editor <laughs> Fine, leave it, leave it. But I take no responsibility for that. <laughs> you delivered it with such confidence. You're like, can I just say? Yeah. No, I was proud of it. And then you had a blank face. And I was like, don't do that. <laughs> okay. I was just going to say you, because you go, can I just say? And then I was like, you can, but this is a permanent Yeah, but that's on our, you. Of our time. <laughs> Email okay. Georgia Hardstark at myfavoritemurder.com. Okay. At anuspuns.com. Okay. So, uh, 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 so as the water rises in the engine room and makes its way through that hole that mm -hmm. was left open from the unfitted ventilation pipe and it starts flooding the waste disposal tank, the engineer is able to seal off this section of the ship with those watertight doors. But once that water infiltrates the waste disposal tank, the water begins to overflow through all of the showers, sinks and toilets mm -hmm. in the lower levels, ultimately leading to widespread flooding. Mm -hmm. So I think what happened is the because the lower levels are usually where the crew lives. Oh. And so all of their toilets and showers started flooding with wastewater oh. and they were like, this ain't good. We're out. Yeah, I think that's 
that I'm that, but that is my absolutely yeah. amateur math that no, I'm no. doing. About You're an this. electrical engineer, aren't you? Right. And I don't <laughs> want to brag about that, but it's high time I did. 220, 221, whatever it takes. <laughs> what, movies, what movie is that from? Oh, uh, wait, say it again. 220, 221, whatever it takes. No. Mr. Mom? Too old? I I loved it, but I don't remember that. I okay. did love Mr. Mom. Go on. <sighs> okay. So it's standard procedure in an emergency like this for the ship's crew to close the lower deck portholes to prevent water from climbing any higher. Mm -hmm. However, because most of the crew panics in this situation, they forget this crucial step. Mm. Instead, they run and grab their belongings and rush to the embarkation deck to save themselves. I mean, it's just like natural, your natural reaction, right? Like, what if you're like, yeah, I mean, if you, but the thing is, if you're a passenger, but if you work on the ship. Yeah. But you get paid minimum wage and you get a fucking shitty ass room. They have to share with some fucking guy who smells who also works there. True. But it's that thing of like, if you, if you're sitting in the exit row and they go, Hey, do you agree right. to help with this door? You go, yep. Then you've agreed to help with the door. Fair. You don't then when there's an emergency go, sorry, that's too much for me because yeah. you already agreed. So like, yeah, all all they're asking you to, them to do is close the portholes. Yeah, some basics. <laughs> Got it. Shut okay. some shit down so everyone else doesn't die. And it's okay. like, forget it. I have to grab my precious Hummel figurines and run to the embarkation deck. Okay. Fair enough. Maybe that's oversimplifying things. Okay, so this means that Moss, Tracy, Lorraine, and the other entertainers are left to lead the evacuation efforts themselves. Wow. They lower the lifeboats and organize groups of 99 to board them. That's the maximum capacity on these lifeboats. Wow. But as they're trying to do this, the storm and the ocean swells are causing the lifeboats to swing out and then come crashing back against the ship. So they try their best to keep the lifeboats pressed tight against the ship by placing one foot on the ship and one foot on the lifeboat no. and then trying to get as many people on onto the lifeboat before it swings away again in a swell. So you can imagine this is, it's not like standard kind of evacuation yeah. process. This is like emergency evacuation. Yeah. Moss keeps running downstairs to check how high the water level is getting. And once it's high enough, he decides it's time to move the passengers who are now all gathered in the main lounge be waiting to get brought out to the lifeboat area. Mm -hmm. He now decides they have to come out onto the open deck, even though it's cold and wet. At least no one's going to get trapped inside if the boat actually starts to sink. Oh, my God. So now it's three in the morning and Tracy and the rest of the evacuation team are lowering the last available lifeboat into the water. There's nearly 300 people <sighs> left on board. And the few crew members who are left... Now shove their way through the waiting passengers. They get on this lifeboat and they try to lower it down, even though there's only 50 people on it. Guys. Lorraine and Moss start arguing with them, saying if they're going to do this, they at least have to fill the lifeboat all the way before departing. And by starting this argument, it buys them time to load 20 more people onto the lifeboat before the crew members take back control and lower it down into the sea. There are only 70 people on this lifeboat. I take back and what I said about 
them escaping. <laughs> right? Yeah, you can't do that. Also, I think that that energy, like the panic energy, you know how like pilots are always like the most dead, yes. deadpan. And I think it's because panic energy is catching. Oh, yeah. Once one person starts to panic, everyone goes, it's every man for himself. You just got to go fucking do our thing. Right. And it's like, if you're going to work on the ship, you have to work, do your part to keep people calm, yeah. yourself and yeah. other people, or it just is mayhem. Well, I think that the panic being catching too, or, you know, what's it called when you catch something? The being chill is as well. So if you're like the chill guy and, and if you're fucking Vince Averill and not panicking that you're missing your flight, yeah, <laughs> like you and Karen and Georgia are missing your flight, then we're not going to panic either. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a control. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do Mm-mm. as we've watched Vince Averill not panic <laughs> in many situations. <laughs> when he got, when he had weed in his pocket in fucking Amsterdam at the airport. <laughs> man, that was scary. Oh, that was scary. Man, he man, was that chill. was scary. He was chill. He sent us on ahead without him. You don't go know on me. A, you said, you on don't know me. Go get on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Okay. While this evacuation whole process was taking place, Moss, Lorraine, and Julian were all taking turns running to the bridge to send out distress signals on the radio. Mm. So each one would like go when the other ones were trying to load people onto the lifeboats. Yeah. So insane. So after several attempts, Moss finally makes contact with a Captain Detmar on a nearby ship called the Ned Lloyd Meridus. So Captain Detmar, a calm, level-headed, experienced seaman, asks Moss a bunch of technical questions to assess the situation, like their, quote, exact position, how many people were still on board, our angle of lean, and our current strengths. When Moss is unable to answer any of these questions, Captain Detmar asks Moss what his rank aboard the ship is. And Moss responds, I'm not any rank. I'm a guitarist. Oh, my God. (laughs) And then Captain Detmar looks into the camera and says, I'm getting too old for this shit. No. Oh, (laughs) no. Sorry. I'm sorry. Karen being a a sitcom writer over here. (laughs) I have to. I have to. I'm not above it. Oceanus, look, Oceanus. we're all the same. We're all the same in comedy. Um, okay, so knowing this technical information uh, is obviously essential yeah. to organizing the rescue right. of these uh, sink of the sinking ship. So Moss starts to search the ship for Captain Avranas because he's like he's still on here somewhere. Yeah. Because he knows who's left. Um, He finally finds him on the pool deck, huddled under a staircase, smoking a cigarette. What the fuck? Ding dong. Right? Yeah. He's he's melting down. He is. It's fight, flight or freeze. Or smoke. (laughs) Or smoke under a fucking (laughs) set of stairs. So Moss pleads with the captain to come back to the bridge and talk to Detmar and give him this crucial information. But. Avranus refuses to go. So Moss is forced to run back and forth across the rocking slippery deck, getting answers from Avranus and then running back to the bridge to report those answers to Captain Detmar on the radio. How fucking ridiculous is that? The last, perhaps most crucial estimate the Captain Avranus gives to Moss is how much time he thinks they have left before the ship goes completely underwater. 
And that is about two to three hours. Oh, no. So now it's four in the morning. And with Captain Detmar's help, they have a rescue plan in place. Helicopters from the South African Air Force are going to be sent to airlift the remaining 220 passengers off the boat. Divers from the South African Navy are going to be in position in the water around the boat to rescue anyone who might go overboard. And in the meantime, the Ned Lloyd Meritus and several other ships in the area will form a wide circle around the Oceanus. They won't be too close because the sea is still choppy and they don't want to run into the boat, but they will they basically will be close enough to pick up anyone who mm-hmm. goes into the water. Mm-hmm. So Moss and Lorraine decide to split up the group of remaining passengers and set up helicopter rescue sites on the foredeck and on the rear deck. Mm-hmm. Performer Robin Boltman stays on the bridge to maintain contact with the surrounding ships. So Robin Boltman is on the radio. Wow. The first helicopters arrive about 6.30 in the morning. <sighs> Captain Averanas, who's basically been useless this whole time, uh-huh. smoking, whatnot. He boards the second helicopter and abandons ship at 7 a.m. Come on. He So he kind of elbows his way. He's just like, Peace. I got to go. Yeah. The entertainment staff directs the rest of the evacu- evacuation I mean, alone. Like, For no real. one's shocked. However, <laughs> fuck this shit. However, what the living fuck. Truly. Um, rescue helicopters drop down rope harnesses and Moss and Tracy load passengers mm. into the harnesses two at a time. <sighs> so Moss, Tracy, the, every all, all of those people, the band, like, yeah. It's literally the entertainers, the magicians, singers, people who have no fucking training. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God. So insane. Doing it. So at this point, the ship is fully sinking. The deck is sloped at a steep Mm -hmm. angle and the ship is rolling onto its starboard Mm -hmm. side, which is its right side. Port (laughs) is left. Starboard is right. Aft is the back. Four is the front. I looked it up on Google. Damn, girl. Right. We must learn as we as we tell these stories. No. So now it's a race against the clock to get everyone airlifted off this before the ship goes completely underwater. As the passengers are lifted up to the helicopter, their swinging limbs are knocking Moss around. And more than once, he has to grab the deck railing to keep himself from falling off the ship Mm. by getting knocked by them. Thankless. At one point, the harness itself gets stuck on the side of the ship as the helicopter team is lowering it back down. And with the ship um, rolling and bobbing still in the waves, if it dipped down too far, it could pull the helicopter into the sea. So Moss hangs over the side of the ship to free the harness and save the helicopter. And that's when Tracy loses her shit on her husband. And she's like, do not, what are you doing? We made it this far. And so she makes him tie a rope around his waist (sighs) and then to the deck railing so that he stops risking his life every goddamn second, (sighs) which I entirely agree with her. (laughs) Finally, there's just 15 people left aboard, 12 male passengers, Moss and Tracy, who is the last female crew member or entertainer on the ship Mm -hmm. and Robin still holding it down on the bridge. So 
they all get ready for their turn to be evacuated. Oh, and by the way, at one point it did say that most of the entertainment crew were female. So all of these very brave men waited till the very end. Yeah. But most of the entertainment crew that were running this evacuation were women. Amazing. Um, who stayed till all the passengers were off. So these guys all get ready for their turn to be evacuated when the helicopters leave. Bye-bye. <laughs> so the last 15 people are clinging to a like a more steeply sloped deck. Yeah. They have to wait 45 minutes with Moss at one point suggesting that they all climb over the railing and they wait on the ship's side because that's now flatter than yeah. the deck is. So the deck's like this and the side of the ship, they kind of go out and walk on there. Oh Finally, the helicopters return. And on August 4th, 1991, Tracy, Moss, Robin, and the final group of passengers are all airlifted to safety. Shortly after about 3.30 p.m. that day, the Oceanus rolls over to its starboard side and sinks to the ocean floor below. So, in an incredible display of bravery and calm, Moss... Tracy, Lorraine, and the rest of the entertainers managed to save every single passenger and crew member from the sinking Oceanus. Holy shit. And Moss and Tracy make it out unscathed, although because of Moss's intense exhaustion and his dehydration. Because mm. remember, he didn't really sleep the right. couple nights before because of their late nights. So he was totally dehydrated. And he got to get put on a hydration drip at the hospital after being rescued. But other than that, they were fine. Oh, my God. As for Captain Avranis and his crew, they are alive, but they're not well. They received tons of criticism for essentially abandoning their passengers along with the ship. Yeah. He and four of his key crew members are evaluated by a Greek inquiry board and prosecuted for betraying the responsibilities of a ship's master. But they don't see prison time. And the captain continues to captain ships until he retires. No. and. Captain Avranis maintains that he left quickly so that he could help coordinate the evacuation efforts from the helicopter. He actually made a public statement saying, quote, when I give the order to abandon ship, it doesn't matter what time I leave. If some people want to stay, they can stay. Uh, want to stay? You know what? Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to continue my vacation on this fucking ship. Listen, here. if these hippies want to hang out on this <laughs> ship, that ain't my problem. I got to go. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, so, so after an experience like that, you would think that Moss Hills would be all done with working on cruise ships, mm -hmm. but he's not. Mm -mm. He continues to work as a cruise ship entertainer. He continues to do so. And in fact, three years after the sinking of the Oceanus, he is working aboard a ship called the MS Akil Laro, which is a luxury cruise liner traveling from Italy to South Africa. This ship has 979 passengers and crew members on board, almost twice the capacity of the ill-fated Oceana. Mm -hmm. I mention this detail because wouldn't you know it, as mm -hmm. they're sailing 125 miles off the coast of Somalia, a boiler explodes mm -hmm. in the ship's engine room and engulfs it in fire. <gasps> But because none of the crew members are nearby when this explosion occurs, it goes unnoticed. No. And soon the fire spreads from the boiler room out to the rest of the ship. And by the time the crew realizes what's happening, 
and try to put the fire out, it's too late. No. So instead, they try to contain the fire by closing the fireproof watertight doors, but they know this plan can only hold for so long. Mm -hmm. So the fire begins to consume Ah. this cruise ship. Are we starting all over again? (laughs) No. Once again, the entertainment director, this time a woman named Nadia Eckerd, it must play a key role in organizing the evacuation efforts. What was Moss like? Moss was like, are you fucking kidding me? Moss like pushes his way through everybody and goes right up to Nadia Eckerd and goes, yeah, you're going to actually want to use me for this because <laughs> or, I know I know some stuff. Or is he like, I'm first on the rescue boats this time. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> He's like, I learned my lesson yeah, being a good guy shit. last time. <laughs> no, actually, he... Uh, Guitar Hero Moss Hills has all the crucial information needed to organize the crowd and keep everyone calm and basically go like, here's what we're going to do. And they really did. They know that the communication is crucial. And on this ship, there's uh, passengers from all over. It's a really diverse Mm -hmm. group. So they start um, breaking the groups up by nationality so that nobody gets... uh, Nobody has a language barrier. Right. So basically keeping everybody together. So there's always people who can communicate to everybody else if they don't speak the language of the person that's trying to help them. Amazing. And right. And so that everyone can constantly be made aware of what's happening, because in this situation for this evacuation, it's not a slow sink. It's a fucking fire. Yeah, yeah. So they're on a serious clock. One of the entertainers described how it felt ushering passengers into lifeboats with a fire approaching, saying, quote, all the paint was peeling off the wall and we were struggling to get them in fast enough. And suddenly you could feel the heat right behind you. Oh. It was a very frightening moment. Wow. So the nearest vessel that's able to take on evacuees is an oil tanker called the Hawaiian King. And it's just a little bit funny because this oil tanker pulls up and because this evacuation started during like a party at night, a formal party, almost all the passengers are wearing formal wear Mm. as they exit the cruise ship and get onto the oil tanker. And eventually other boats come to aid in the rescue, including U.S. naval ships. Unfortunately, in this evacuation, two elderly passengers die and eight others are injured. But miraculously, 968 souls make it off the burning cruise ship alive, including the soul of Moss Hills, (sighs) making this his second cruise ship sinking survival in three years. Dude, enough. In 2000, Moss and Tracy Hill and their daughter moved from South Africa to the UK. Tracy opens her own business designing and making jewelry, leaving her life at sea for good. Mm. But Moss does the opposite. Mm -mm. He puts all his emergency evacuation and rescue skills to good use and becomes a cruise director. Yay! (laughs) I love it. He says that now captains listen to him very closely. Yeah, they do. Although once a week he goes back to performing music. Gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. Yes, if you want to listen to Moss Hill's firsthand account of the survival of the sinking of the Oceanus, please listen to Snap Judgment. The episode is called Down with the Ship. 
And that is the unbelievable story of two-time sinking cruise ship survivor Moss Hills and his incredibly brave wife, Tracy. Wow. Look for the helpers, right? I mean, <laughs> as Mr. Rogers said, look for the fucking helper. He didn't say the F word, but look for the helpers. Look for the helpers and keep your eye out for the people, the captain smoking cigarettes yeah. under stairs. And the, and the fire on the cruise that you're on. Try to keep it aware of explosions, <laughs> especially if you're uh, if you work down in the in the boiler room. Yeah. Just don't Please. go to sleep if you're on a cruise. Keep your eyes open at all times. And d- don't be afraid to communicate, even when it's bad news. Yeah. I know it's it can be hard, but yeah. go ahead and run that bad news straight up to, you know, right. somebody with the radio uh, as, as soon as you can. It's all about being vulnerable, as Brene Brown would say, like, you know, be vulnerable be like, hey, this ship is sinking. Hey, I have a lot of fear around the right. sinking of this ship right. that's happening right now that you now have a lot of fear about that's as right. well. Yeah. Um, let's talk about it on the lifeboat. Great job. Fuck, man. That was great. So the sources for this story, uh, there's a website that Moss actually put together himself. It's called www.oceanasinking.com, where it's basically his firsthand account, plus pictures from early 90s uh, people waiting to be rescued off of a ship. Oh, I can't wait to see the pictures. They don't seem that upset. Like, I think that the entertainers <laughs> kept everybody pretty calm for as long as they possibly could. I love it. There's also the Wikipedia page. There's the Snap Judgment episode down with the ship. There's a YouTube video entitled Oceana Sinks. Um, there is, <laughs> this is pretty hilarious. I read this article. It's writ- It's for The Hoot, which is Whispering Lane School paper, and it's written by an author named Joshua Sermon, S-I-R-M-A-N, and it just was entitled Weird But True Story, The Guitarist and Shink- Sinking Ships. And it was like four paragraphs with from what looked like a high school newspaper huh. about about this, <laughs> this story, huh. which I kind of loved. Oceana's captain insisted on early rescue, Diver says, and that's from the... Desart News. There is a, a website called deeperblue.com that had an article by Philip G. Van Rensburg, a New York Times archive about this story, Wikipedia page about the sinking of the MS Achille Laro. And there is an LA Times archive article that seems to be staff written about the sinking of the Achille Laro and the praise of the crew the survivors praising the crew. What a great job. That second sip shinking. <laughs> Do it. I'm done. I'm so done. <laughs> Fuck we fucking you. did it, man. You did it. I did it. Even did, did it. it. We all did it. We did it. We've done it again. We've done it once again. But I really thought this was going to be the short one. No, we did it all over the place. It's everywhere. <laughs> Look at it. It's on the walls. It's, it's on the carpet. Pretty gross. <laughs> it's really disgusting. Um, so let's just say thank you guys for listening. As always, yeah. we are, you're, our, you're our muse. <laughs> you're our... You're our inspiration. That's right. You would stay on the ship with us and we appreciate you for that. We would all go on to the starboard aft mm-hmm. part of the ship. Mm-hmm. Meet me at the starboard aft and let's let's get off the sinking ship from there. Or together. Let's stay in the lounge and karaoke 
Sweet Caroline. Sweet Caroline, and I will absolutely grab a bottle of Malibu rum That's and right. pour it all over my face <laughs> as that ship goes down. You know we will. You know us. It, you know that's going to happen. <laughs> I guess the only thing left to say is stay sexy. And <laughs> don't get murdered. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Elvis, do you want a cookie? This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Hannah Kyle Crichton. Associate producer, Alejandra Keck. Engineer and mixer, Stephen. Ray Morris. Researchers, Jay Elias and Haley Gray. Send us your hometowns and your fucking hoorays at myfavoritemurder at gmail.com. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at myfavoritemurder and Twitter at myfavemurder. And for more information about this podcast, our live shows, merch, or to join the fan cult, go to myfavoritemurder.com. Rate, review, and subscribe.